we're going to get into the Word of God. God's going to speak to us. How many of you know this, that God does have a plan for churches, for groups? And uh, I've heard this over the years. You know, I went to church, and I heard something, and it seemed like it was just for me, and uh, I needed that, or it was something, you know, that friends had been talking about, and um, you show up at church, and you hear what you were talking about. How many of you know God knows what you're talking about? Some people put their hand down after I said that. Wait a minute. But, but you know what I mean by that. Some of our conversations are not just what we express with our mouth. Only they are things that can be deep with inside of us that, that God may be trying to um, get something across to us. And I know this. God is the great architect the great designer. Um, you know, I like architecture. I like design. I like a lot of things, you know, that you see in creation. God uh, created things like that. And he, he orchestrates things and he tries to get his plan to work in the earth. That's his ultimate goal. And so we, we realize this, God has great organization and as a body of believers, he tries to organize us to do things that will help his plan. And so sometimes we might be thinking of something and not always realize, hey, wait a minute, that's God dealing with me. You ever been there in your life? You're thinking about something, thinking about it, then later on you're like, wait a minute, are, are you dealing with me about this, God? And then it kind of settles inside and you know, this is what he's wanting for my life. And when I say God is the great architect and great designer, uh, he sees ahead and he tries to orchestrate things on the earth. And, and so we're going to talk about for just probably a couple of weeks, uh, going to name it, who knows, it might get named something next week, but called On Earth As in Heaven. And that is a huge statement. Uh, God's wanting what's in heaven to be here on the earth. Now, obviously, um, not everything that's in heaven is fully going to appear upon the earth, but there are things uh, that are in heaven that God would like to have on the earth. How many of you would like more heaven on earth? How many would like it in your neighborhood, on your job? How about on the news? <laughs> yeah, that was the biggest amen, you know. You're like, this isn't heaven on earth news, but... But that's not God's design. But what if he's trying to call the church to do something so that there would be more heaven on earth? You know, there was a great man named John Wesley. He lived during the 1700s, during a time when um, England, Europe, really the world was in moral decay. And sometimes people uh, think, well, today is pretty much moral decay. You know, you see all kinds of crazy things happening, not just in the United States, around the world, and you think, well, it can't get any better. But actually, when John Wesley was alive, he, uh, God had been dealing with him about a call on his life and to be a minister, and 
he lived in a time where in England, uh, it wasn't safe for women to walk out on the streets alone, especially at night. There it was a time there that they didn't uh, just offer alcohol uh, at the bars, you know, per drink. They would just, you would char- they would charge you for just to get drunk. But if you passed out and needed just to sleep there, they charged you for that. It was so bad. The police were corrupt. This may sound like whatever, but bare knuckle fighting was common, but bare knuckle women fighting was totally a common thing back then. Now, we live in a time 30 years ago, women fighting, you know, professionally was really frowned upon. We've kind of come into that place. But it had gotten so bad there that in reading history, they said that the theater there, you know, like our Broadway, became basically pornographic. It, it just was unhinged and, and anything could happen. You could just go to a show and it was basically live, live pornographic stuff. Well, there were still Christians living in that time and one of them was named John Wesley. God used him to turn, him and others, to turn that whole nation to the point where police didn't, weren't arresting people. They ended up, after a certain amount of time, not even having crime type of things, so they'd just go to early morning prayer things that were happening. From people drunk and marauding gangs to all of a sudden this huge change. And one of the main people that God used was a man named John Wesley. You may have heard of like Methodism or Methodist Church or Wesleyan Methodist. He was one of the founders, or really it came through him. But he made a statement that is real interesting that I think should challenge us or could challenge us. He said this before, you know, he, you know, or actually after he kind of became prominent and well-known, he made this statement. He said, it seems as though God can do nothing unless a man or, you know, woman or person asks him first. Now, that's a real interesting statement, especially from a guy who has such a history of being in a place that's totally dark to all of a sudden God's using him in a tremendous way. And uh, then in his observation, saying it seems like God can do nothing unless somebody asks him first. Well, that's pretty interesting. That's real interesting. But the way I think is, even if somebody says something interesting, because there are a lot of interesting things out there that people say. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, some of them are real, like, whoa, that's incredible. But my thought is, is I just don't buy into everything that's like, wow, I want to know, is there any spiritual precedence from the Bible that would validate such a statement that it seems as though God cannot do anything unless man would ask him first? Well, that brings up a lot of questions, at least to me, then 
then haven't we all been around at some point and said, wow, the world is not the same as it used to be, and it's getting real dark. And then maybe even people say, wow, it just keeps getting darker and darker. I hope we get out of here soon. Anybody ever heard something like that? A real conversation. But if God cannot move unless somebody asks, well, we've talked about it, but have we asked him anything about it? Have we invited God to do something? Now, I know it seems weird to have to ask him such a thing because he's God. But the idea behind this statement is, is God gave the earth over to man. And he told the men, or Adam and Eve, he, he said, dress, keep, subdue the earth, have dominion over it. And he gave authority to man. And he gave the right to exercise authority, dominion to humans. And if humans don't do something, and you could say it like this, allow for God or make way for God, invite God, join with God to bring about change, then it could be left undone. But let's look at a scripture and see if, if there is something in this area. What if God has been calling people to pray in the church? And um, because he knows what he wants to do. What if he, the great orchestra leader, you know, who tries to get the musicians to play right, and he kind of, signals to this group to play this tune or to do this on instruments, what if he's kind of waved his hand at the church to lift our voice in prayer, but people maybe have joined in, maybe others haven't joined in? What if he's trying to call the church to pray and raise their voice so he could do something? Meaning that's his goal but what if maybe we're too busy? What, what if we even started because we heard the call and then we got busy and stopped? But he still, you know, I don't have reference to like, you know, orchestras and how they do things. So all my learning of this came from like Bugs Bunny, you know, when he would do the orchestra thing and make a guy hold out a note. Sorry if that hurts your thinking, but that's where I'm at. So, with that being said, you know, when you're when he's maybe calling people to to pray and to call out to him, is this taught? Was this a fundamental thing that the Lord tried to get across to people uh, when he was here upon the earth? When he was here upon the earth, we get a good picture of how God is and God's design. Much clearer than in the Old Testament. And there was a time in Luke's gospel, uh, the 11th chapter, that Jesus had already picked disciples, people to follow him. They were following him, and they were observing the fact that John who used to baptize people, who he was preparing the way for the Savior to come, 
Pharisees, another religious group on the earth during that day, these different groups would teach their disciples how to pray. And so Jesus' disciples said, Lord, why don't you teach us how to pray? Wouldn't it be cool to learn not from a Pharisee, some religious zealot, not to learn from John the Baptist? It would have been great, but then there was a higher way than John the Baptist. And so the highest way is here. Wouldn't it be cool to learn from him? And so what happened was they said, Lord, you know, John's been teaching his people how to pray, and these other religious groups teach their people how to pray. We're with you. Teach us to pray. And so he goes through this teaching on how to pray, and right in the middle of it, he really covers the subject that John Wesley said. It seems as though God can do nothing except a man would ask him to do something first. And so Jesus said, along with some other things, pray that God's will would be done here on the earth like it's done in heaven. So you could deduce from this fact that there would be no reason to ask for something if it was automatically going to happen. Wouldn't that be true? No reason to say, um, hey, I'm going to teach you guys how to pray. I'm going to say a lot of things. You really don't have to pray because it'll really just happen. But we've got this area, and it'll be Luke 11 later on. And there's a couple of verses we need to fill this in. So I'm just going to say a bunch of stuff. And then don't even worry about praying about it. No, he didn't do that. Whatever he said has extreme value. So when he said, here's how you pray, then he's saying prayer is necessary to see God's will like it is happening in heaven to occur upon the earth. Most people that think of heaven, think of heaven as good. Think of it as a place of health, a place of peace, a place where evil is not ruling, where comfort is the fact of the day. That peace is not something you're just trying to pursue. It is just a living reality. And the list can go on and on. There's no tears up there of sorrow. And so we all know these things. Most people know them without any reservation, you know, when they think of heaven. When people think of hell, they think of something else. Jesus said, pray that his will would be done on earth like or in the fashion it's happening in heaven, then you could see from reading there is a possibility of a disconnect between heaven and earth. What would a partial disconnect be? 
obviously if you're supposed to pray or I'm supposed to pray or we, the church, or the church universal is to pray, if we neglect our duty, then what could happen is God's will of heaven being manifest on earth could be limited. It could be limited. And so, God may be calling the church. Maybe calling believers to this reality of rising up in prayer. What, what does this look like? I want to look at what this looks like to get heaven on earth, not just in my life, but in those around me. What does it look like to get that? Is there Bible precedence that would show us that this type of prayer was in the Bible and that it's there to help us to get some heaven on earth? Are you with me? We can be light because we are light. We're going to be victorious because we're created that way as king's kids. But God wants us to have an influence on the world and he wants us to have an influence on other believers. Notice this verse here in Colossians, the fourth chapter. We're going to look at this real quick about our duty or you could say it's really a calling and I would say this with callings. Sometimes callings uh, are more prevalent at one point than another. Meaning, God can call us to something, but that doesn't mean he's always telling us that thing. He, he wants that call to begin to dominate our life. But, there are times where sometimes in people's lives, the calling that God has for them isn't dominating them like it should, and he'll try to bring correction. Just like when we're driving down the road. You ever been driving on a real straight highway? I've done this in Oklahoma. Every road there is straight. Not really, but they seem like it. Or North Texas, you know, in the plains. You get out there and start driving. The roads are real straight. Have you ever done this? I mean, I haven't. Okay, I have. Where you're like, okay, I'm not going to move the steering wheel at all. I'm going to aim, see how I, far I can go without having to adjust the wheel. Anybody ever done that? Okay, thank you. I'm not alone. There's other weird people in here. I mean, intelligent people. But I've done that before. You know, how long can I go? And you, you realize this real fast. Even though the highway is super straight and you, it looks like it just goes for miles, and it does, that you still have to do little bits of adjustment. The only time you really have to do a big one is maybe if you were sleeping, thinking, let's go straight, and you're all of a sudden on the bumpy part of the road and you have to turn back. And so I think in the Christian walk, at least in my experience, and I believe it's true uh, with other people, that God uh, adjusts us. He, he tries to help us to uh, stay in the middle of the road, so to speak. 
And when he does that, he does it for our good, but he's also doing it for kingdom good. He's doing it for the benefit of others. And I think there is something to what I'm talking about from God, uh, like a call to prayer, a call to call out to him. Like, you know, haven't you ever had somebody you think, oh, I'd like them to come over, but they need to knock first when they get here, uh, but, but you're waiting for them to come or, or whatever, and you'll respond to them? There is some application like that um, in the Bible. One of them is a very familiar one in the book of Revelation when the Lord was writing to the church uh, actually various churches, he said this, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, I know that's a common verse uh, to teach and tell lost people that God is standing at the door of your heart, knocking, trying to get in. But actually, that is not what that verse is talking about. He's talking to believers and he said, the Lord stands at the door of our heart, trying to communicate things with us, trying to get us to respond to what he's dealing with us about. And when we respond to those dealings, it said he will come in and interact with us and there will be a feast in our life of spiritual things. It literally says we breakfast together. In other words, you breakfast in the morning. You know why they call it breakfast? Longest time of, well, unless you snack at night, this doesn't count. But normally, you're breaking the fast. You're, you're breaking the fast. And the fast they were breaking there was... Uh, going from a time where they weren't talking to God, weren't praying like they should, weren't interacting with him, weren't responding to him, and they broke the fast by responding to the Lord's dealings. And so we're going to look at this just real briefly about how God wants to work on the earth and it just takes some people to cooperate and there can be marvelous results. Colossians, the fourth chapter in the twelfth verse. It says this, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always. Notice this phrase, laboring fervently for you in prayers. He was laboring in prayer. He, he was... Uh, deeply moved in his prayers for these people. And it goes on to say that he was so deeply moved, he was laboring with passion. Literally, when it talks about this uh, laboring fervently, it means he was zealous for this. He desired this. And, and literally... Another meaning is to strive to the point and you don't stop until you obtain it. The real Greek meaning is like an Olympic ancient Roman wrestler. He, he got after it when he prayed. And, and what was he doing when he prayed? He was wrestling in prayer. 
not wrestling against God, but he was striving, laying hold with his heart. And what was he laying hold of with his heart? If God is calling us to have help make change through prayer, then what do we strive with in our heart and talk to God about? He goes on to say, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. To move into God's will. And we already saw that God's will is heaven on earth. And so he was praying for them and striving in his prayer for other people that they would begin to enter into God's will. God wants people to enter into his will. He wants us to pray for people to enter into his will. So what does that look like? For lost people, it's, Lord, send laborers across their path. For saved people, it's, Lord, help people to see your, help them to see your design. Because that is the sweet spot in life. Jesus made a tremendous statement in John 8. He said this, who I, he said, I'm the light of the world. He said, whoever would follow me would not walk in darkness. But in a, in a real sense, what does it mean to follow the Lord so we wouldn't walk in darkness? Well, one thing the Lord did was he prayed. What if we followed his example to pray and it would help alleviate darkness in the world or push back darkness in the world what if we technically as believers have an opportunity to pray that and allow for god to do a work so that darkness would be pushed back in the world we we can pave the way in front of us you know Often it's said, I, I can't imagine what the world's going to be like for my children. Well, we should imagine a world for our children. But we should imagine it as if we can't change the whole thing, we can change areas. And we can have pockets of divine light and life. And it can be around our kids. It can be on our job. You could turn your workplace. You could turn your neighborhood. You could turn your grocery store. Amen. God's into grocery stores. He can lead us. You know, a few years back at prayer on Tuesday and Friday, we, we started praying for the movie industry, the social media industry and I we were we had talked about how that you know darkness is coming through that that means that there are people that are in leadership positions that hold to those things and it's spreading below let's start praying that things start getting exposed and they did and then one of the big platforms even changed to somebody who allows for conservative uh, viewpoints well, if we were praying that way, and I'm sure God was probably leading the church as a whole to pray that way, then think about if we saw 
through our prayers and probably people across the United States or wherever praying about these things, we, you know, we should sit down and, you know, we do this after we do uh, events like with the youth camp. Sit down and let's reevaluate. Let's look what worked. Let's look how we can make it better. And we take notes. What if we sat down and went, hey, we were praying and we saw some stuff happen. What if we go ahead and repeat that, but maybe not in that area, but what if we move it into another area? Something to think about. I mean, if it worked, you know, you know, if, if I work out and I work only on my biceps and they get really big and round, just my biceps. And you think, well, that's strange looking, but you go, you know, if you would work on your triceps a little bit, and I think, oh, I can do that. You could bring change wherever you move the resistance. And so he talks about this praying this laboring and this striving. What if there is in the Bible something that has been laid out for us to have great change? What if there is something that besides reaching the lost individually, which we should do, but we pave the way before we get there? And what if that way happens to be prayer? Let's look at a couple of verses of Scripture. Everybody okay? Turn to Isaiah. Many of the verses in the book of Isaiah, I mean, it's a prophetic book. I mean, there's forth telling about uh, people uh, having the glory of God. It talks about, you know, prophesied about Jesus coming to the earth and what it would look like. It I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. It even has scriptures that tell us what the millennial kingdom will look like when the Lord comes. How that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth and it will be a tremendous thing when that's, there will be no evil. Talk about, you know, it's nice when the air conditioner is running in here when it's 115 outside forget that it's just like glory beyond belief it's not even an air conditioner of glory it's just the whole temperature of the earth has changed you don't just have to go to church and go wow it was great to experience the presence of the lord or or in my own life i'm sensing the presence of the lord i mean it will be all over the earth but here in isaiah 66 we're going to read a verse here in the 66 chapter, the 8th verse, and uh, there is a spiritual application to this about making uh, change through prayer and, and making change on the earth. And I don't know about you, but I do know about me, and I know the same God who's in me is in other people, so I would think that this has to be true in other people, that there's a deep craving to see a lot of people saved and see a lot of people walk in the will of God. 
and, and see humanity changed and see them experience the goodness of God. And uh, these verses right here are a key. Notice this verse 8. Who has heard of such a thing? Well, what was he talking about? He was talking about this birth of, of people coming into existence. And, and he said, who has heard of such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? In other words, will this just happen that there will be birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? Though the, these questions this prophet's bringing up based on something he saw. He said, or shall a nation be born in one day? For as soon, notice, this, he's going to explain how it happened quickly and suddenly. That all of a sudden, uh, uh, a people that was not a people, uh, a group that was not a group, became a people and became a group. And he said this, he said, For as soon as Zion was in labor. Now Zion in the Bible is mentioned as a part, you know, Israel, but it's also mentioned as the church. And he said, For as soon as Zion was in labor, the word there in the King James is in travail. She gave birth to her children. She gave birth to her children. As soon as Zion or the church labored. Doesn't that kind of sound familiar? He labored fervently for them. In prayer. Now, turn over here. To Galatians, we'll probably close with this verse, but we'll look at a couple things here about what is this travailing? What is this laboring? Actually, in the New Testament, it's a type of prayer that the church should learn to avail themselves with. In other words, put this into action, and then there will be certain kinds of results. Does anybody think God wants people saved? That he wants saved people full of an understanding of who the Lord is. A real reality. Do you know that's what makes the difference often in people's lives? Is reality. Something that is real becoming revealed. And many things are real that are not revealed to people. How many of you think if all of a sudden Jesus appeared in the sky and everybody saw him, there would be a lot of changed lives? Some people wouldn't. Others, ugh. Others, praise the Lord. But there would be people who were doing their own thing that as soon as he was revealed, they would go, uh, I need to change. Well, what if there is a way to reveal him to people. What if there is a way when we witness to him have already prepared the way through prayer? That he would then, as we share with people, the reality would come. And people would say, 
you know, I know him. When people ask me when I gave my life to the Lord back in 1985, how do you know this that you're following? I would be, I would be at a loss for words. And the best I could do is I would say, well, I didn't know him. I know him. He's real to me. He wasn't before, and he is now, and that reality is there, and it's not just gaining mental information. Because how many people have hit their finger with a hammer and said, oh, Jesus Christ. Well, they didn't get saved. You know, oh, they called on his name. Praise the Lord. No, but when they did call on him, the reality after they called came into them and they knew it. They knew it. They went, I know him. He's been revealed to me. God would like that happening over and over again. But I'm convinced he wants it to be uh, even more real for believers. Notice this here in Galatians 4.19, and we'll close in this after we look at a couple of things. This group here in Galatia had had some profound experience with, with the Lord, and at one point they had kind of started growing cold, and they started going back to their old ways, uh, their old religious ways, and the reality of Jesus was being lost to them. They were saved, but that vital living relationship and knowing of Christ personally had kind of grown a little bit dim to them. And so Paul, who is the author of this, by inspiration of God, wrote this in verse 19. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again, tell Christ is formed in you. That word labor is the same word travail, and he said, I did it in prayer. In other words, he went through the labor pains. Wouldn't that be cool for ladies, like if you could just pay for somebody else to go through the pain of labor, and you just like have the baby? I mean, I'll tell you what, if I came up with that, I'd be the richest person in the world. And ladies everywhere would love me. Not the younger ones, but the ones who are having a baby. They'd be like, oh, thank you. I'd be like, no problem. But you would be, you would be loved. Some ladies are like, you sure? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no labor pain? You just go in, have the baby, drink some coffee. Oh, I love my baby. And you leave. And, but, but what happened was, the way that you had your baby was somebody else did the labor for you. I mean, if we could do that, now, what a tough nine-to-five job if you're the one taking the place of somebody else. But think of the reward of being able to help people be born. Well, there are two thoughts here. Notice this, my little children for whom I labor in birth again, again. So he had done this once, and he was now doing it again. 
what, how was he laboring? How did he do it before? And how is he doing it again? He said right here, whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. What happened was he had prayed and, you know, from the depths he was laboring. And these people got born again. He did the labor part. So that they could be born into the kingdom. He prayed. He spent time with God. He labored on the behalf of somebody else. So they didn't have to go through the pain. They were just born. They heard the message and they said, Okay, I'll receive Christ. There is an element of the first time. But then there's an element of praying this again. So that the reality of Christ would be formed in them again. Because what happened, they had gotten back under this idea of not just saved by grace and living a wholly separated life because we're free. And they started thinking, I've got to make myself holy. And uh, now it's about my works. And they had lost the reality to a degree of who Jesus really was and what he really did and what he really paid for for these people. And so he said, I'm doing this again, laboring in this prayer until Christ is formed in you or that reality comes. Isn't that what everybody needs? We live in a world that's masked to spiritual things. The Bible says it like this, we see through a glass dimly, or through like, you know, it would it'd be like we would say something like this, you know, those bathroom windows that have those big blocks, you know, of glass, and you can kind of see through an object, but you really can't see the object. It's not that clear. When he said we see through a glass dimly, he's saying it's kind of like a hazy glass we can see through to this other realm, but not quite as clear. So realize this, there's greater clarity on the other side than, than we that are experiencing. There's even more clarity. And he said this, that we could pray for others, that other believers and for the loss that these realities would become formed in them. This is something I believe that the Lord wants in the earth. We, we can't um, moralize the earth, so to speak. Moral laws are great to control things. We, we appreciate them. You know, thou shalt not rob your neighbor. We love that one. You know, but wouldn't it be better if we didn't have to have it, but it was on the books, but your neighbor didn't want to rob you anyway? And it wasn't fear of being arrested that stopped them. It was they had, been, had a change in them from God. How can we make for change in the earth these simple truths? separate ourselves in our time, 
put some time aside to pray, and then ask God to help use us to pray about a lost and hurting world that needs to know him, and for other believers that really need to have the Lord formed in them again. They maybe lost the reality of just who the Lord is. And therefore, they're kind of like a ship that's got its sails up, and they're just needing wind to blow, and the Spirit would like to, but he just needs somebody to invite him and join with him. What, what a pleasure that would be, to be able to help somebody else in our own prayers. Amen.